0: You're listening to Episode 5 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and today we investigate the mystery of the Manny Machado market. Welcome to the final countdown to the unofficial beginning of the holiday season. (laughs) Of course, I'm talking about Major League Baseball's winter meetings that run from December 9th through the 13th, conveniently in the hometown of one Bryce Harper, Las Vegas, Nevada. Welcome to another episode of Chirps. We're very glad that you've joined us to talk about whatever may be happening in the next week or so in baseball. Now, Alex, the Mariners might be the only ones committed to the idea of getting their shopping done early, so to speak. But are you surprised by any of the movement we've seen or that we haven't seen so far?
1: Not really. And I should probably confess that um, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to a lot of the other teams, Uh, just because (laughs) it it takes so much energy to follow one team. I Mm -hmm. am in awe of the people who like a trade will happen between the Brewers and uh I don't know, Mariners. And all of a sudden, people will be like breaking it down. And it'll be like relief pitchers or something that, you know, I've barely even heard of. Um, so, you know, it's hard for me to say. Obviously, this is, we're in Jerry DePoto's wheelhouse right now. And he's basically tearing it down. I can't figure out which direction he's going. Um, the moves today that involved uh, Segura didn't seem to like, go over all that well with... uh the Jerry DePoto fan base as as much as his moves usually do. Um, But no, no, nothing's really surprised me yet. You know, we haven't hit the winter meetings yet, so obviously the big names are still on the board.
0: Well, there's continued to be a lot of talk about Harper. There's been noticeably less talk, I would say, about Manny Machado. We talked a little bit about that last week. You know, many people kind of thought at the end of the season that Machado had Sort of played himself into perhaps even a better con- contract situation than Harper. But despite all of the ways that Manny seems to fit the needs that the Cardinals have talked about, he's been much more associated with the Phillies, but who hasn't at this point, let's be honest? But there's this strange sort of void where the Cardinals have talked very specifically about what they need and yet not really seemed to give any indication that they're interested in pursuing this particular 26-year-old. So we want to talk today about Manny Machado, because I think there's a lot to sort of dig through here, starting with maybe some context for why it seems so strange that the Cardinals, at least by all indications, have been pretty much out on Machado from the very beginning of the offseason, when... Like I said, he sort of appears to check a lot of the boxes. The Cardinals need defensive help all over, but specifically on the left side of the infield. They need a middle-of-the-order bat, they need youth that can carry them forward, and they need a superstar. Alex, I'm not saying anything that other people haven't already said at this point, but a lot of that sounds like Manny Machado, does it not?
1: It does. and Yeah, and it is kind of interesting. And you know, and I'm just stipulating here that they aren't, you know, tied to him. For all I know, maybe they are making inquiries or whatever. But yeah, it is. It's very interesting to me that they haven't even come up, especially when the usual suspects, and I'm talking about the Yankees um, and uh, the Phillies, all of a sudden to me don't look like they're a great fit for Machado. Um, the Phillies because of the the trade for Segura, and and a lot of this hinges on how serious Machado is about being primarily a shortstop. Um, Because at the beginning of 2018, I believe, he was pretty adamant that, like, look, I'm moving over here. This is where I want to play. This is where, you know, I think he said something like, this is where my heart is, you know, something like that. Um, And he basically said, you know, I'm making a commitment here and I'm going to stick with it. So let's assume that's the case. That puts the Phillies in a bit of a bind, right? The Yankees, to me, were always the most likely fit because they're the New York Yankees but they have a lot of depth in the infield to the point that I don't know if they would even need to risk bringing on a player like Machado who you know let's face it anytime you're talking about a contract that's going to be probably a minimum of eight years there's a risk involved and you know the Yankees have Torres who I I, you know at second they have Gregorius at shortstop you know who's not Machado but you know, and they still have what Miguel Andujar over at third. You know, that's a pretty solid infield. Um, to I don't know to disrupt on what could be in the long run a, ri- a risky contract. You know, and so that so that you you move those guys out of the way. You know, like the Nats could be another team, but you know, the the Nats have Trey Turner there. So it does seem like it could be a pretty good fit for the Cardinals, right? I guess a lot of it comes down to if if they feel as though they're very content with Paul DeYoung at shortstop, then maybe they just don't feel like Machado is in need right now. But again, that this is all hinging on whether or not Machado is serious about wanting to play shortstop because I feel like the the, the equation radically changes if that's not necessarily the case. If he's going to play third base and that opens up a whole window of opportunities, not just for the Cardinals, but also, you know, other teams. And, and you know, I think he can fit at shortstop with the Cardinals too, because you know, I think I wish Kyle Reese was on because he's he's much better at this stuff than I am. But you know, I Paul Dion was brought up as a third baseman. As I understand it, he plays a competent to above competent third base. So it wouldn't be the worst, you know, it wouldn't be the worst fit, you, you know, shifting him over there. I think the Cardinals would be in pretty good shape to do that.
0: Yeah. I've I've asked Kyle specifically about that in the past because it seems like a, a bit of a moot point if um, for example, if the concern with going out and getting Goldschmidt is that then Matt Carpenter's playing out of position, well, then a concern about getting Machado would be that Young's playing out of position, right? It seems to follow the same trend. But um, Kyle has said very emphatically that he thinks DeYoung would need some work at third base, but that, that he would be just fine over there. I think this whole discussion about Manny Machado sort of defining what he's going to be as far as where he plays defensively is it's so interesting to me because um, you know, if he was far superior as a shortstop and teams were trying to play him at third base because that's where they had a need, then it would make more sense to me. But to just sort of say, look, this is what I want to be. This is where I want to play. Um, and to have that kind of, uh, I don't know, authority, have that kind of pull with a team to just be able to make that decision is, is interesting to me. Um, I did have someone mention the other day, and I'll throw this to you. How much do you think the fact that playing shortstop makes you uh, perhaps the most valuable uh, infielder as far as a contract is concerned. And he insisted on playing at shortstop going into a contract year. Do you think the the insistence on being a shortstop is as much about the the potential for his, <laughs> I don't know, financial future as it is for the the actual playing of the position itself. Yeah, I think that's a
1: a pretty good point. Obviously, finding a shortstop that hits like Machado is much harder than finding a third baseman that hits like Machado. You know, so if you put that bat at shortstop, then you know, usually you're pretty satisfied if you have a guy who hits for league average um, at shortstop, assuming they play a good, you know, assuming they play the position well. So that could have been a, a good strategy on his part to say like. It's no longer the case because Donaldson's off the market, but he could have been looking ahead and saying, like, you know, not, not only are there more good hitting third basemen in the league than shortstops, but, you know, one of the best hitting third basemen in the league is also going to be a free agent. Maybe it would make sense to kind of shift over to shortstop. Plenty of teams would love to have a guy who who hits as well as he does at shortstop. Every team would love to have a guy who hits as well as he does at shortstop. So yeah, I think that's a I, I think that's a really interesting point that could be interesting strategy on his part. The other thing I will say is though I was under the impression that he had played a lot more shortstop than he actually has. You know, I, I think eighty percent of his time in the league has actually been spent at third base. So this isn't like you know Cal Ripken. You know, this isn't a case where like they're trying to like force Cal Ripken over to third base or something. Like no, he he plays. He has played third base well more than he has shortstop.
0: I was watching some uh, defensive highlights from him today um, just sort of to wrap my head around what it is that he is actually capable of defensively. And we talk a lot about Nolan Arnato and just how magical he is defensively at third. Manny Machado is as far as I, you know, watched today, I haven't watched every inning that Manny Machado has ever played at third. Um, but his ability to make highlight plays at third base is every bit as good as as Arenado's is. His arm is so strong that, you know, he can pretty much throw to first from anywhere, and you feel confident that he's gonna get the out. And there was so much of that at third base that it's not surprising that so many people. Feel like, man, if he would just play third, (laughs) then he would open up a lot more options for himself. But the reality is, what he does defensively is pretty special. What he does offensively is something that any team would love to have in the middle of their lineup, especially a team like the Cardinals that has been missing that pop for so many years now, right?
1: Yeah. And speaking of that, I was looking at this today. And he is one of just three players in baseball who has hit at least thirty three home runs the last four seasons the The other two are Nelson Cruz, um, who's actually done the last five seasons and uh, And believe it or not, Nelson Cruz has hit the most home runs um, over the span of the last four years, last four seasons than anyone. <laughs> I don't think that surprises too many people he, he's you know he's been a one of the premier sluggers in the league for a while now. But I think, at least in our, you know, kind of our neck of the woods, we always just associate him, um, unfortunately, because I like him, but we, we associate him with that David Breeze eyeball
0: ball. A little that, bit of a different player. Yeah, memory. yeah.
1: And the, the other player <laughs> is Nolan Arenado. You know, I, I don't know if some of that is Core's effect. You know, obviously people make uh, big to-do about his splits away from home. Um, but the point is that Manny Machado has been – One of the biggest sluggers in baseball, at least as far as home runs are concerned. And he plays, um, you know, he's not just like a guy who's lumbering over at first base. As we mentioned, he plays shortstop. So that's a, you know, that's a pretty valuable commodity to have.
0: So when you look at what the Cardinals have been looking for, is there anything about who Machado is as a baseball player that instantly would be like, oh, well, here's the big hang up. Here's why it makes sense to not pursue this guy.
1: So I was thinking about this today, and I wonder if, and, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this as well, um, I wonder if they really are focused on Goldschmidt. Because if they are, then there's no room for Machado, right? Because if they really want to get Goldschmidt, then that moves Carpenter across the diamond. Once you do that, then you're pushing out either Carpenter or DeYoung. And I don't think they, I don't think the Cardinals want to do that right now. So I wonder if the reason why our perception is that their interest in Machado is very, very lukewarm is because their interest in Goldschmidt is very, very high. It seems plausible, right?
0: Yeah, it seems like the kind of all-encompassing thought process that seems to be the, the way the Cardinals do a lot of their offseason dealings. And sometimes I think that's frustrating to fans because we see, for example, what the Brewers went out and did last season, which was more like what we talked about last week in that you go get the best player available and you figure it out from there. Now, that's not always a great strategy. There's not always you know, that sort of compatibility with the guys that you go get. But those acquisitions at the time didn't necessarily make sense because it wasn't like, oh, yes, this is very clearly the piece that the mm, Brewers yeah. needed to go get, yeah. where the Cardinals tend to maybe be more, more deliberate in going out and getting the piece that makes the most sense. And I often wonder, similar to what you were saying, that was a very long setup to answering your question. Um, but but the point is, I often wonder if the Cardinals sometimes outthink themselves in trying to get all the way around the problem to the end. And then, you know, if you spend all this time formulating this perfect plan to get to this one piece and all of the, the steps along the way don't fall into place then where are you left with that plan? And I'm not suggesting that that's where the Cardinals will end up. We obviously discussed and came to the conclusion last week that I think Goldschmidt would be a really solid, strong addition for the Cardinals. But as far as what else that means, yeah, I I think I wouldn't be surprised if the way the Cardinals front office tends to work, they have this very developed, very specific plan in mind. um, and And maybe they're, not so interested in some of those other options because it's not their plan A whether that's for better or worse it, it does seem like the kind of cardinals esque move
1: yeah say what you will about Mosaic, and I, I i think um you know an honest reading of him is you know he's he's been very very good at most things and, and he's had some you know misses lately but you can't say he doesn't stay the court you know he doesn't he doesn't get rad you know he doesn't he doesn't make panic moves uh holland might be the exception i I thought at the time that was a weird signing and especially if the reports are true that he kind of just gave in to Matheny um in his ear about needing a reliever you know or needing his you know closer or whatever then that that seems like a very unmozealic move um and, he, you know, um, not to get off course, but a lot of people blame Matheny for that. And I, I agree. But that's still Mazalik's fault for signing. It. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to, especially for a manager that, you know, is, is, was obviously on thin ice anyway. You don't still you don't have to give that guy 14 million dollars or whatever it was just because your manager is telling you he wants a closer. So I, I put most of the blame there. All of the blame, I would say, on Mazalik. But I, it's just, I keep going back to that Goldschmidt thing. Like, like that, maybe that's where they're set. And that kind of just leaves no room for Machado unless they're going to get really creative. Um, both Goldschmidt and Machado are both risky moves, but for the opposite reasons. You know, Goldschmidt's a risky move because you're going to be giving up, you're going to have to be giving up assets um, for, for what could be, probably would be one year. Um, and I understand why a lot of people are, you know, don't want to do that, Uh on the um, Meet Me at usual podcast, I think Shoptal brought up the, you know, a lot of people might not remember this, but the Cardinals had Andres Galarraga in 1992 um, mm-hmm. for one season. They traded Ken Hill for him, and he had been a great player with the Expos, All-Star, and then came to St. Louis, got hurt, um, played only half the season, and it was pretty bad. It may have been his worst, you know, in-prime season of his career. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's risk there with Goldschmidt. Um, but there's risk with Machado too, you know. As we said, any any time you're giving a guy eight to ten years, um, there's a lot of risk there in those ages, you know, thirty four, thirty five, thirty six age seasons. So,
0: so the one thing that we haven't talked about so far is the thing that I would say has been discussed the most about Machado. It's not his defensive ability. It's mm-hmm. not where he would play on the field. It's not what he has done offensively over the last couple of seasons. It's the fact that. He sort of has this mm-hmm. reputation that yeah. is, uh, not really great to say the least. He made some comments during the postseason. We, people saw him uh, make uh, you know some some pretty questionable plays um, as far as how how they come across to the opponent, how they come across to the fans watching, whether they were dirty plays or not. all of those things. We saw all of that happen, right? We saw all of that drama unfold. We heard the way that he handled it, which did not put him in any sort of positive light, I would say but so here's here's my one other question about this it feels a little bit like there's a double standard in and it's not just baseball it's athletics in general and probably society as a whole but i don't know if we have time to you know discuss society as a whole tonight but um there's this weird sort of priority list right of things that are acceptable and things that aren't acceptable there are off-field issues even some potentially criminal behavior that gets just sort of pushed under the rug but say that you're not really going to hustle all the time and maybe uh-huh. try to trip someone or step on someone's foot and all of a sudden that's all anyone thinks about as far as you as a player and as an asset to their team is that do you think that's a, a realistic part of this conversation with owners and, and GMs with Manny Machado and his agent as they go through this offseason? Or is that just sort of this weird, overblown, maybe a weird set of priorities that, that everyone yeah. in society has. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I'm going to separate the two things, meaning I'm putting the Johnny hustle comment in, in, in one spot and then kind of like the on-field incidents in another sure. spot. The Johnny hustle thing I think is not a big deal at all. I don't think it moves the needle and here's why. First off, it's, it's true. Um, you, you don't need to be sprinting to first base after an intentional walk or, you know, you know, or, or whatnot. It, that doesn't mean you need to say that, but I think you, know, you watch almost every player and if they hit a routine pop-up, they're not sprinting to first base, nor do we want. We don't want Yadier Molina sprinting to first base when it's a, it's a sure out. But, you know, you, you have a microphone in a guy's face all the time. They're going to say something that doesn't sound – I've said really dumb things at job interviews before, <laughs> you know. <laughs> We're just like, you know, what, oh, shoot, why did I say – so I don't think that's a big deal at all. The other stuff I do think kind of matters. I, I don't think it matters to the level of a team's going to be like, oh, we got to stay away, like he's toxic. I don't think it's even close to that. Um, and I'm also only looking at this through the prism of sports, right? Like, I don't think any reasonable person would look at his on-field incidents and assume that he has to be like a certain way off the field. You know, sometimes you just get people, especially when it comes to sports and, you know, once they, you know, I'm going to say something, cliche, once they step over those lines, you know, they turn into a, like kind of a different person, you know, whether it's the competitive juices or whatnot. But with Machado, you, you know, you take certain guys who have been baseball heels before. Um, I'm trying to think, like, like a player like Jeff Kent, or, or a more contemporary player like Yasiel Puig. You know, who's mm-hmm. who's kind of like, you know, I, I never read that Molly Knight book, um, "The Best Team Money Can Buy," I think is what it was called. But you know, from from reading the snippets from that book and other stories about Puig, you get kind of the sense that he can be a bit of a pain in the ass, right? Like, like not a mm-hmm. bad guy, but kind of mm-hmm. a pain in the ass. With Machado, there's a little more there, meaning he might actually kind of be a jerk. Yeah. And when I say that, I mean a jerk on the field. I, I, As far as I know, he's he's perfectly wonderful and great off the field. But, you know, there's been a lot of incidents. There was he had a fight with Giordano uh, Ventura. Um, that was a huge brawl. Um, and to be fair, it's because he, uh, Ventura threw at him. He uh, That incident where he threw the bat. I don't know if you remember this, against the A's, where he kind of just like struck out and he threw basically threw the bat at the third baseman. It was clearly yeah. intentional. Again, he had also just been thrown at. But the reason why he gets thrown at a lot is because he has a lot of, like, hard slides. You know, the hard slide into Pedroia. There was a hard slide into Xander Bogarts. You know, I'm guessing the Red Sox aren't too uh, sad to see him out, out of the yeah, ALEs. AL and then and then in the NLCS, yes, there was a hard slide in Game 3, and then he stepped on Aguilar's uh, heel, and then, you know, Yelich, you know, after the game said, uh, F that, you know, mother effer. Um, which Yelich doesn't look like the type of guy who's capable of saying those
0: words. I don't,
1: that's besides what.
0: Maybe because he looks like he's 12. But.
1: Yeah. He does look like he's 12, right? <laughs> yeah. I, 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 was reading that in the paper or not the paper. I was reading that online. And I remember thinking like, I wish I could have seen that because I want to see what he looks like when he's talking like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there is a little too much um, where he he kind of crosses over from being heel to just being a jerk. Yeah. But I really don't think that even matters that much.
0: Yeah. I've said before, I don't particularly enjoy watching Manny Machado play because of that. Because it just kind of feels like there's always going to be something that goes on in the game. He's always going to have, you know, some lingering issue with an opponent that's going to come back to haunt you and there's going to be a brawl and there's a lot of that but the reality is some team somewhere is going to give him a ton of money and it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense that the cardinals who need help on the left side of their infield and in the middle of their order don't really seem to be pursuing him that said I agree. we don't know what they're talking about um under or behind closed doors rather we don't know who they might be discussing and um how they might be keeping it under wraps so maybe they're just gonna try to surprise us all and, and really be in on Manny Machado all along
1: right and, and let me also say if say he does join them, say the Cardinals do sign him I would forget about that stuff instantly not only would I not I would I forget about it, I wouldn't care, I would almost secretly enjoy it.
0: It's different when he's your villain. Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: Where he ends up I think will be interesting because the Phillies seem to still think they can make some room for him.
1: No, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen. I and I wonder if it's going to if Harper's going to have to sign first, if that's going to be the first domino to fall to see where he goes, but yeah, I'm I'm almost more curious about this one than I am Harper. Speaking of Harper, um I feel like we have to mentioned this because it was such a big deal. The, the Nelly thing. Um, <laughs> okay, stipulating that Harper really is a huge fan of Nelly, or, or at least he was growing up, because that's what he said, right? right? Say Harper signs with the Cardinals, how much credit percentage wise, like zero to 100, do you give Nelly, if any, for this? Well, and again again we're assuming that he really does love Nelly that he was like in awe of him you know like, like think of whoever your favorite musical act was when you were 14 and then you're like you're meeting them um, and they're telling you you should come play here right um, because I'm willing to give Nelly 2.5 percent credit if, <laughs> if, if if Harper signs with the Cardinals
0: so here's here's my question about that though I'll rea- I'll answer your question with a question because everyone loves that um, it, it depends to me on how much how much pressure Nelly actually applies, right? If it's just like the Instagram video that we saw, hey, come to St. Louis, Mo, do it, call him, and that's it. Then, you know, all right, it was a fun moment of a fun night. Maybe it generated a little bit of extra goodwill as Bryce Harper's thinking about St. Louis, but... Let me tell you, if Nelly keeps on this and keeps bugging him about it um, or or keeps bugging people in the know who uh, who can continue to pass his message along to the DeWitt family, um, then sure, I'll give him some credit. Two point five percent sounds like a, a reasonable amount, but I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go to double that if he uh, if he stays on him over the next couple of weeks.
1: <laughs> so I almost think he did it the per- like he I don't think he can be too heavy handed in this because this is someone's huge decision. So I thought his mes- his little video was perfect. But if he keeps like bugging him, I think it could start like to backfire a little bit. So
0: true. Stay
1: 2.5 percent. But like I'm going to invent my own kind of 2.5% margin of error just so I can bring it down to zero <laughs> that's probably where it belongs but also up to five because who knows how big a fan he, he
0: right might right <laughs> the things we talk about in the offseason right
1: Okay, so we're about at the 30-minute mark, so we're going to uh, wrap up this episode with the Chirp of the Week, and I've done the others, but Tara has something good for us this week, so I'm going to hand it over to her.
0: I do. I told you I would come up with something eventually. So last week I mentioned, sort of in passing, that my dad's dad was at one time offered a walk-on contract to play for the Cardinals, which he turned down because he would have been relegated to minor league baseball at the time. All of that was because Bill White was the first baseman that he would have been playing behind. Ooh.
1: You, real quick, can you educate me on something real quick? What, what is a uh, walk-on contract? Yeah,
0: so essentially at the time, the Cardinals were holding open tryouts. Okay. So we basically went to a tryout. Um, my family is from St. Louis. Um, my grandpa was in the military, had been... Wow. Uh, overseas for most of my dad's young life came home and they were back in St. Louis. And at some point the Cardinals were holding open tryouts and he basically went to a tryout and they offered him a contract to play behind bill white. (laughs) So uh, not, not a great shot at actually making uh, the big league roster um, at least immediately. So Bill White played for the Cardinals from 1959 to 65 and then again in 69 for one last season. During that time, he won six consecutive gold gloves at first base with St. Louis. Then the following year, he won a seventh consecutive gold glove with Philly. The next most consecutive gold gloves... Uh, for the Cardinals was Keith Hernandez, who had five from 78 to 82. Now for Bill White, his best statistical season was 1963. He put up 5.1 war. He was ironically the worst on the team in defensive war and in base running, uh, but he had an 851 OPS and a 136 WRC+. Plus. The interesting thing about that year is that he played all 162 games that season. He was one of only three players in Major League Baseball to do that that year. So I looked at the 2018 Cardinals to see if there was a comparable player to Bill White's 1963 season. The only player that compares was Matt Carpenter, also at first base. Carpenter was the only player for the Cardinals with... Five, war, or higher. He had an 897 OPS compared to White's 851. And Carpenter had 135 WRC+, plus compared to 136 for White. Matt Carpenter also played the most games on the team this year, but significantly fewer at 156. That was only good enough for Tide for 27th in Major League Baseball. In 2018, seven players played in 162 regular season games. One of them was Manny Machado.
1: He played all 162?
0: Technically 163 because of the game with Colorado at the end of the year. But oh, I don't know how okay, that okay. actually is recorded because it's, it's not really considered as, regular season.
1: It's recorded as a game. Yeah. Yeah, and sets. So also Bill White, uh, first African-American player ever with the Cardinals, if if, uh, if memory serves. Um and if you ever read October 1964 by Bill Haverstrom, it's an excellent, excellent book. And there's some really good passages on Bill White, too.
0: Yeah. And uh, one other note um, in comparing Matt Carpenter uh, in 1964, obviously the the world championship season for the Cardinals, White finished third in the MVP voting. So maybe that's uh, the comparisons will continue. The Cardinals will win the World Series and Matt Carpenter will be uh, top three in the MVP votes. <laughs> There's your trip of the week. That was awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Tara. One other cool thing I want to tell everyone about is that we are doing a giveaway. We are giving away birds on the black beanies. If you ever watch Kyle Reese on Prospects After Dark, which I'm sure you do because everyone does, uh, he wears the beanies sometimes. We're giving away five of those beanies. There will be a, an entry form. That basically you just like click one button to enter and there will also be a couple of options for submitting um, additional entries to make yourself more likely to win. Um, So that will run through Christmas Eve and then the winners will be announced on the 26th. So you can go to birdsontheblack.com and see all of the details on that contest I'm really excited because the beanies are cool and it's really cold outside and we get to give something away at Christmas time. So it seems like a win-win. (laughs) Fun. All right. Well, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, of course, to see any more information about the show or about the giveaway or whatever else we're talking about tweet at us i'm at tara wellman he's at cart 79 and let us know what you think about machado and what the real reason is we haven't heard a whole lot about him this offseason and of course we'll be back next week to hopefully talk about something happening at the winter meetings and uh, what's going on in the world of the baseball offseason so we will talk to you then